Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus. Brendan here with Mark, episode 314, Thursday, September the 28th, 2023. And a big apology to all our listeners, Mark, and our subscribers for last week. We had a great many technical difficulties. We soldiered on for a while and we cobbled together part one of this second part um, or two-part series on nasolacrimal duct issues in rabbits. But We've been quite lucky generally considering um, the distance between us, haven't we, um, with our recording schedule? It's a huge physical distance, even though it's not a very big emotional distance, Brendan. <laughs> and welcome to you, Mark. Um, and I'll tell you what, speaking of emotional, uh, the weather is fantastic here down in Melbourne, Mark, um, for the next few days. And I'm very much looking forward to watching the Australian Rules Final, oh. the AFL Grand Final, which is on this Saturday. So as we this episode goes to air a couple of days um, hence and uh, perhaps in the past, depending on when you listen to it. And it's been an amazing final series, Mark, not that my team... St Kilda managed to do very well. They did make it into the finals and got knocked out in the first round. They did. They did better in, than you expected. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes and no. Yes. No. But nobody expects them to do very well, <laughs> very often at all. So I suppose they live up to their expectations in that respect. Um, but an amazing final series as far as a lot of very close games and very exciting games, and also incredible crowds um, at the venues, Mark, and especially at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, the MCG, and many of the finals so far have had between ninety four and 98,000 people, Mark. I've been to the MCG, Brendan, once to watch an AFL game, and it was a, a you know, a not, I mean, you guys in Melbourne would go to, uh, like, your average 10th division weekend warrior um, uh, reserve grade game, and there still would be eighty thousand people if they played it at the MCG. You yeah, guys it is love your sport. It is pretty amazing the the number of people that go to events in Melbourne. Yeah, you are correct there, and compared to the population um, and other popular sports worldwide, we in more populous regions. We certainly. Do very well, Mark. So yes, I'm looking forward to it. And what's your tip, Brendan? What's your hot tip? Is it the Collingwood? Like, look, from where I am, Collingwood just we don't want Collingwood to win. Um, so <laughs> Brisbane is Brisbane. Unless, a... So Collingwood versus the Brisbane Lions, and Collingwood is one of those teams that everybody loves to hate, unless they're a they, Collingwood supporter. They are very polarizing, and, aren't they? It's a bit like, I suppose, I don't know, Manchester United in the Premier League, in the soccer in the UK, and uh, I don't know what the equivalent would be in America, Mark. We'll have to get some of our listeners to get back to us about who's uh, most loved and yet most hated American football team um, that 
playoff on this in the sort of Super Bowl series and all of those. Um, yes, so Brisbane Alliance versus um, Collingwood Football Club, Mark. Um, well, my tip is um, I think the halftime entertainment by Kiss, Mark, <laughs> uh, may be a disaster. We will see. Um, there is a history just... for those people who aren't aware of the AFL halftime um entertainment there is a history of less than auspicious events yes so that so they have so they pay a lot of money you, typically these days i think you know a million dollars upwards to have a have a rock band etc play at half time um and you know they've had some interesting interesting um failures over the years last year was quite good they had robbie williams um from the uk and he was a, he's a very good showman and he did a fantastic show um um, one of the big failures that, that uh, probably the biggest failures was Mr. Loaf, um, Meat Loaf, Mark. Um, um, absolute disastrous. Um, yeah, it was just a complete disaster when Meat Loaf <laughs> performed. Um, and uh, some interesting acts in between. So, yes, Kiss has been announced as the um, halftime entertainment. And um, my my prediction is, Mark, it could go either way. It could be a spectacular failure or a spectacular success. And no doubt they will be wearing their extremely high heel boots. Um, so hopefully they don't fall over. And Gene Simmons um, manages to, um, well, keep his tongue in his mouth is all I can say, Mark. So, yes, kiss. Um, so as far as who will win the actual match, um, well, yeah, I am American for the old Fitzroy, which is what the Brisbane Lions are these days. Um, so I'm hoping they will win. And uh, I don't know; it could go either way, Mark. It could go either way. We do like we do like it when there's a competition and the game is the winner on the day. Yes, because often you know, because obviously there's only two teams in that final, and everybody, the millions of people watching it, if it's uh, a bit of a whitewash and somebody's winning by a huge margin at halftime, then all that tends to happen is people laugh and cry and carry on about the halftime entertainment and just get very um, uproariously drunk. Well, at least in our our region, of course, <laughs> that's, what, that's what happens. So I'm hoping for a tight match, Mark, and that goes down to the wire. So there we go. So. I think with that, we better jump into some non-sporting news, Mark, and uh, we will talk about the Ig Nobel Prizes, Mark. Um, we, both this love, year's... we both love the Ig Nobel Prizes. What have you got to tell me about this year's awards? Uh, 2023 Ig Nobel Prizes were awarded on Thursday, September the 14th, Mark, and they're amazing. They're fantastic, Mark. I'll, I'll talk about a couple of them. I think I think you were having a bit of a chuckle on the the award for chemistry and geology was awarded to Jean Zelisowicz for explaining why many scientists like to lick rocks, Mark. Um, so, um, and the reference is a, a paleontological association um, paper called Eating Fossils, and I think it talks about how you know these rock Rock lovers just like to go out there and, and touch and lick the rocks. I think what they're doing is just putting a bit of saliva on their finger and touching the rock. No, no, to, that's you know, not what they're the doing color. at all. Aren't they? They're fully you... licking the rocks, mate. Oh, my goodness. There's uh, a whole, well, there's a whole um, uh, section in my TikTok about people licking rocks. 
I, why am I not surprised <laughs> about that? Mate? Why am I not surprised? Um, and the other one I I, I very much um, enjoyed, Mark, was the public health prize, Mark, yes. because I'm always interested in public health. Um, and this was from South Korea and also and the USA um, c- collaboration, I think, Mark, for Seung Min Park for inventing the Stanford toilet, Mark, a device that uses a variety of technologies, including wait for it, a urinalysis dipstick test strip, a computer vision system for defecation analysis, an anal print sensor oh, God. <laughs> paired with an identification camera and a telecommunications link to monitor and quickly analyse the substances that humans excrete. It sounds wow. uncomfortable. That's right. I think you'd get... Um, Anal freeze. Um, if you went in there to do a poo mark, I think you'd struggle to struggle to um, um, provide a deposit, so to speak. What did you like? Which ones did you like, Mark? Oh, I was going on to my article. The, the um, let's see, because I was pretty wrapped with um, with the uh, toilet technology. Um, let's go towards. Um, what about nutrition? Have a look at the nutrition oh, one. Because I was looking at the medicine one. Uh, the nutrition one. Let me just quickly read Homi Miyashita and Hiromi Nakamura for experiments to determine how electrified chopsticks and drinking straws can change the taste of food. Augmented gustation using electricity um, in the proceedings of the second Augmented Human International Conference. Yes. What more do you want than some electri- electrified chopsticks, Mark? As usual, I'm fa- every time I look at the Ig Nobel Prizes, there's obviously a subset of these that are deliberately, you know, cho- uh, the work is deliberately chosen to suit this category. But I, some of these are hardcore real studies, and I just, <laughs> I just wouldn't want to be the, you know, putting my hand up setting the submission look i'd love to do a study on straws with two wires attached can i get some (laughs) money for that yes well i've just got one final one and and this is an old one i was just i was surprised it hasn't been awarded before and that's the psychology prize mark where they for experiments on a city street to see how many passerbys stop to look upwards when they see strangers looking upward. Uh, and I don't know about you, Mark, but I've done that experiment before um, when I've been in the city and I've just stood there and just looked up and just um, it's amazing. You, you you will get a few, you know, you, you very quickly you'll get a few people um, joining you and looking up and trying to work out what you're looking at. Um, I honestly yeah. have never done that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. So there we go, the Ig Nobel Prize winners um, for 2023, and we'll have a link to it at our website, vetgurus.com. Brendan, my um, my news story um, is concerning the number of birds that die annually by smashing uh, into uh, glass windows in New York City. Um, and estimates put it at uh, 230,000 birds that die each year uh, by crashing into the glass of the buildings in New York City, the windows. Um, and there is a bill uh, to try and 
change some circumstances uh, to lessen that number. Now, um, the key thing that probably the key factor that probably would make the biggest difference is uh, to reduce lighting. That the little bright light shining off the glass disorient the birds, uh, make it difficult for them to understand that there's a structure there, um, and so um, they crash into it. So ending, um, you know, turning off some of the lights, uh, asking buildings to apply for landmark status, uh, a demonstrated security need to keep the lights on and turning all the others out, um, geez, that would make a huge, huge difference to the number of birds that um, that uh, would be killed. A study in uh, recently conducted in uh, Chicago suggested that turning off half the lights in any given building can reduce the bird collisions by six to eleven times, depending on the time of year. Um, so the the buildings don't even have to turn them all off. Um, if they can just lower the amount of illumination that's coming out, then that will make a huge difference. You would think that they would have, you know, automatic, you know, turn off lights, Mark, um, sensor lights in a lot of these buildings um, for, for years too. It seems a pretty obvious solution, not just for the birds, but also saving a tad of electricity as well, Mark. You would think so. You would think that's precisely what they do. I know that. Um, glass in the Hunter Valley, where uh, my home is, um, is a major problem for our swift parrots. The endangered swift parrot here in Australia is a uh, migratory parrot, one of the only migratory, one of the very few migratory parrots. And as they travel up, they often swoop down to have a look at things as they're traveling vast distances. They live up to their name. They are very fast flying birds. Um, and uh, uh, glass pool fences is are yep. a key uh, a key um, critical factor in their their survival. And seeing as there some estimates put uh, between six hundred and two thousand birds left in the world, um, and maybe as many as twenty or thirty each year die smashing into to pool fences. So I think um, I think that whether it's lights in New York. Uh, pool fences in um, in uh, here in the Hunter Valley. Um, we need to do these things to uh, the preventable things. We need to do those, and they they make very little difference to people's quality of life. Brendan, those it may be better for people if they turn the lights off in the majority of those offices, wouldn't it? Yes, it seems pretty damn obvious. I think, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> um, Speaking of obvious, we're going to jump into part two of our nasal lacrimal duct issues in rabbits. And last week we covered quite scrappily um, the clinical exam, some of the signs we see, and we dove into the flushing technique with local anaesthetic of the nasal lacrimal duct mark. So I think what we need to cover in this brief sort of completion of this topic, Mark, is some of the diseases um, or issues that we see, um, the causes, Mark, um, and I suppose a little bit on prevention as well, Mark. So, um, And I think we sort of touched on a couple of these, but the obvious ones are sort of traumatic injuries um, to that region, Mark, so that will affect that nasolacrimal duct, um, either completely block it or cause damage to it. 
and that includes the obvious one with our rabbits is um, grass seeds, Mark, and, and hay seeds, and that which we have already covered. Um, and the other one's bite wounds. It's not a, not an unusual sight for a rabbit to be bitten by another rabbit, is it, around the face region, Mark? Um, and uh, it might happen to get caught around that nasolacrimal duct region um, and cause damage to that duct, Mark. What else do we see as, as potential causes of the nasolacrimal duct issues, Mark? Well, this is one that's a little bit difficult to, you know, cause or affect. Um, but the cryocystitis, the inflammation within the duct, um, could be the result of... Uh, other causes, or it could de novo be its uh, be the you know uh, problem on its own. Um, there is the possibility that uh, um, foreign bodies get uh, not not just that they cause problems within the the eye, or they can lodge in the duct and cause inflammatory change. There are a couple of pathogenic bacteria who would regularly um, you know be a problem if they get into that location and uh, immune function is compromised. And, geez, the, 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 um, the potential for uh, um, other factors to cause inflammation in the tear duct and then that start well, almost like a cycle that's self-maintaining, obliterating the original cause, but all you see is inflammation within the tear duct. Yeah, I think... Um, uh, that's a really good thing to keep your mind open to. Pay particular attention to the tear duct itself. Brendan, I can't hear you. Sorry, Mark, it's called mute. Um, you were saying some wonderful things too. I could just I was. Tell. I was. It was, it was very, <laughs> very incisive what I just said. Now I've forgotten it. No, um, so don't forget to think about doing a culture and sensitivity. Um, oh, yes. Those ones where we think there may be an infectious process going on there. But we can get just a straight inflammation of that tear duct as well when those ones, apart from the attempted or, or the flushing of them, Mark, they, they can respond just to time and also anti-inflammatories with them. So other causes, Mark, there's, there's one that I see occasionally. It's a, I suppose it's... Um, uncommon to rare, but I I do see it a few times a year, and that's follicular conjunctivitis, Mark, where we have a, a very swollen or inflamed conjunctal tissue in that region around the, the punctum there, Mark, and we end up with um, a nasolacrimal duct problem. Have you seen this? No, I can't say that I have. Does it? Does the conjunctiva have that? Um, uh, you know dramatically edematous look or is it more uh, a bunch of little pimples yes 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 yes, those sort of pimply little little um, um, dots yeah um what else mark what else do we see causing these um those alacrimal issues well it's hardly surprising that um uh Things that change that local anatomy, and we've already talked about uh, things like uh, fight wounds and even the scars that might occur from those, but um, anything that changes that regional anatomy uh, can can lead to problems with drainage and then secondarily cause problems with the nasolacrimal duct. So always be on alert for uh, things like retrobulbar issues that change the, the, um, the shape of the 
the um, structures around the eye and particularly change the dynamics in the conjunctival sac. So abscesses that, uh, that might be um, building up behind the eye or even we've had a couple of neoplasms that are in that location um, and certainly um, a partially proptosed uh, uh, globe would alert us to the possibility that there's been some changes but sometimes these things can be really subtle and it can take some time orienting yourself getting the rabbit sort of lined up perfectly and and uh, and comparing left to right to say oh look there's asymmetry there and and that globe looks like it's uh, poking out a little bit and then begin the investigation of that retrobulbar space. But Brendan, that um, sort of problem, the, an abscess, for example, in the retrobulbar space leads me on to probably one of the, the main ones I wanted to, talk, I wanted to hear you talk about, um, and that is how dental disease can play a role in problems with the nasolacrimal duct. Oh, that's a big topic, isn't it, Mark? And we... We'll refer our listeners to all the other podcasts, episodes that we've spoken about dental disease. But let's do a little summary of it, Mark, in that the nasolacrimal duct has a couple of little S-bends or little almost U-turns, um, which go very close to the tooth roots of the maxillary teeth there, Mark, and the incisors, um, so the cheek teeth, um, and also those the, the number one incisor. So if we have dental disease in a rabbit, always think the possibility that it might end up causing problems with the nasolacrimal duct, and vice versa. If we have a rabbit with chronic nasolacrimal duct issues, you need to put dental disease very high on your differential diagnostic list mark this is precisely true isn't it fascinating too that um i always looked for problems first of all who designed these things like to have both sets of teeth that could have problems pass very very close to the duct so any inflammation or uh, abscessation or um, infection of the tooth root is very likely, as you said, to impinge on the nasolacrimal duct on that side. When I first started looking at these, I paid much more attention to the incisors, but experience has taught me that it's probably, by a factor of two to one, it's those cheek teeth, the roots of those cheek teeth that um, are more likely to impinge on the, on the um, nasolacrimal duct. So good x-rays. Um, and an understanding of the, the uh, correct local anatomy are pretty critical to getting it all right. Yes, spot on, Mark, spot on. Um, and I know we covered that in like two minutes there, but we do have several episodes where we do go into much more detail about dental disease in rabbits and the and the difficulties of, of, of treating them, the chronic nature of them, etc. So we'll... we'll um, just ask you to go to vetgurus.com and do a little search. There's a little search tab there that's quite good. You could just type in rabbit, for instance, or dental disease, and it will spit out all the previous podcasts that we've produced that have those particular topics in there, Mark. Uh, hey, Brendan, in finishing, I've got a little soapbox to get on. Um, I reckon that... Um, Diseases of the nasolacrimal duct are much more likely in brachycephalic rabbits 
Um, and I reckon it behooves us as um, veterinarians who actively advocate for animal welfare to discourage people from uh, acquiring or breeding those rabbits that are, have brackies, however cute they are, however Instagrammable they are, um, uh, people shouldn't uh, push those animals to have those sorts of shaped faces because it just makes for problems. Yes. I just couldn't have said it any... Uh, well, yes, sit, hop down, step down. I'm putting my um, soapbox away now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've mentioned it several times, but um, it needs to be said several more times, doesn't it, Mark, um, <laughs> about the squashed-in faces of the, some of these breeds and trying to discourage their their breeding mark um, because of problems like this that certainly occurs um, and let's not get into the respiratory and other nasal issues that we see in sinus issues with them as well we, we may cover that at another point mark so so i think that's a little summary um part two of our nasal lacrimal, lacrimal duct issues in rabbits and uh hopefully this recording worked pretty well i think it did mark um i'll run through it when we do the post-production and i think with that i don't think you have anything else to say do you mark we no, will get I'll out put, of here put my soapbox away i'm good <laughs> we'll talk to you all next week thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.